There are three big problems with used vehicle appraisals. One, manually sifting through comp vehicles. Two, old book values and ghost comps. Three, no recon visibility. You can solve them all with AutoVision, launching in the Reynolds & Reynolds booth at NADA. Learn more at reyrey.com slash used dash cars. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot -E com slash used dash cars. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. I'm Jake Neer in Detroit, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, Stellantis North America Chief Mark Stewart is leaving the company. We'll tell you who's replacing him. Elon Musk wants to almost double his ownership stake in Tesla. And Buick GMC makes the top 10 in NADA's Dealer Attitude Survey for the first time. Plus, Bosch's president of Mobility for the Americas, Paul Thomas, talks about the delicate balancing act for suppliers in the electrification age. We want to make sure that we don't miss a pattern that's in place there, but we also want to break the pattern to make sure that we're delivering the right products at the right quantities. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Stellantis says it's replacing North American COO Mark Stewart with the president of its Mexico operations. The company says Carlos Zarlenga will take over for Stewart on February 1st. A Stellantis spokesperson confirmed that Stewart is leaving the company. Stellantis said Zarlenga has a decade of global automotive experience. He was president of General Motors South America before joining Stellantis in 2022. Stellantis was the only major automaker to post fewer sales in the U.S. in 2023. Tesla CEO Elon Musk says he would be uncomfortable growing the automaker to be a leader in artificial intelligence and robotics without having at least 25% voting control of the company. That's nearly double his current stake. Musk made a statement in a post on social media platform X, formerly known as Twitter. He said he wants enough stock to, quote, be influential, but not so much that I can't be overturned. Otherwise, Musk said he would prefer to build products outside of the EV manufacturer. Musk currently owns around 13% of Tesla stock. That's after selling billions of dollars of shares in 2022, partly to help finance his $44 billion purchase of Twitter. Volkswagen Group is avoiding production woes faced by Tesla and Volvo by redirecting ships quickly after the Red Sea crisis erupted last month. VW says the move will ensure a steady supply of parts despite the escalating hostilities. A spokesperson says the automaker began rerouting shipments of car parts around South Africa instead of through the Suez Canal last month. The company says the move added two weeks to delivery times, which the automaker incorporated into the production schedules. Delays to vehicle parts that normally flow through the Suez Canal have forced Volvo Car's Belgian plant to shut down production for a few days. At Tesla's German factory, output will be halted for two weeks. Buick GMC placed in the top 10 for the first time in the latest NADA dealer attitude survey. 
NADA polls members twice a year to rate their satisfaction with brand's performance and willingness to consider dealer feedback in decision-making. Lexus and Toyota continue to dominate, coming in at number one and two. Porsche ranked third, Subaru was fourth, and BMW rounded out the top five. Honda fell out of the top five from the winner's survey, replaced by Subaru to finish in the sixth spot, Kia, Acura, Mazda, and Buick GMC completed the top 10. Buick GMC was the only newcomer to that group, replacing Cadillac. A General Motors spokesperson says it's the brand's first appearance in the top 10. And a quick personnel note, Jaguar Land Rover's design director, Massimo Fraschella, has left the automaker to, quote, pursue other career opportunities. Fraschella oversaw design for all of JLR's brands, including Range Rover, Defender, and Jaguar. JLR did not say where Fraschella had moved or who will replace him. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, we'll hear from Bosch President of Mobility for the Americas, Paul Thomas. That's next on Daily Drive. Daily Drive is kicking off the new year by reviving an old name in a new format. We're bringing back a weekend drive edition of Daily Drive. Jamie and I will go deeper into the biggest automotive stories of the week. Every weekend, you'll hear fresh insights, analysis, and what has me running hot, if not overheated. To think that's going to get done in a year, a little over a year, is um, foolishly optimistic. That's that's a little dark, but let's shift (laughs) to something a little more positive. You'll also hear from our experts in the newsroom here at Automotive News about the latest industry trends and topics. EV sales are not declining. That's the narrative we're kind of seeing outside of the industry. They aren't declining, but the pace of growth definitely has slowed. Come back this weekend for our Weekend Drive edition of Daily Drive. And of course, tune in every weekday for all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Data is the backbone of your used vehicle department. You need it to find accurate comp sets and to best understand your market in order to make precise appraisal and pricing decisions. But it feels like you're always struggling to get the information you need. How much time do you spend sifting through comps because there are outliers that don't match the vehicle you're appraising? Do you frequently make manual adjustments to pricing recommendations? Reynolds' newest inventory management solution, AutoVision, can help. A.J. McGowan, president and founder of AutoVision, explains how. If you look at the way that cars are traditionally priced, you know, you can get down to specifics in terms of, you know, what zip code is it in and, you know, what options does it have on it? You know, some of those sorts of things. Um, But the thing that's never really taken into account um, is, you know, that dealer's, you know, specific view of the market. Our goal with AutoVision was to use, you know, technology that's available now to do real-time processing which allows dealers to really set the their view of the market into AutoVision. And then we use our tools to analyze the data that's there and show them this is what this vehicle is worth to you. AutoVision can help you run your used vehicle department with precise comp sets, real-time inventory data, and reconditioning insights. Visit reyrey.com slash used dash cars to find out more. That's R-E-Y, R-E-Y dot com slash used Dash cars. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. Multiple automakers are rethinking some of their electrification strategies after monumental EV growth slowed a bit near the end of 2023. 
for suppliers, those market forces create an even less predictable environment. And it means they need to play a delicate balancing act with their products and manufacturing. Last week at CES, Automotive News electrification reporter Hannah Lutz caught up with Paul Thomas, Bosch's president of mobility for the Americas. They spoke about these trends and more. Paul, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. So it seems that CES represents Bosch Mobility's next chapter. The mobility business officially has reorganized into its own unit within Bosch. And then you took the America's Helm on uh, January 1st. So how will the new structure change the strategy of Bosch's mobility business? Yeah, I mean, our strategy is going to stay, it's still going to be the leading supplier of automotive solutions and mobility solutions for our customers. That's not going to change. Uh, what happens, what's really going to be nice for us is we're going to be bringing all of our domains together now, where we'll be able to take advantage of cross-domain activities such as how we handle a powertrain product, how we handle a steering product, how we handle a braking product. And it'll give us more of a chance to ensure that we don't miss any opportunities that exist in other areas. So the reorganization is really a way to handle the transformation of the business as well, because our customers are changing, right? They're being more dynamic, they're moving faster, and our customers are also different than they were before. So you have your general OEMs, your standard OEMs, but now we're moving to more, let's call hyperscalers, or people that require different types of solutions. So this bundling of our mobility business into a overall approach is gonna make us just that much more agile. So your career went through a transition as well. I know you worked on original equipment sales for automakers, and you were then mobility, and now continuing on in a larger role with mobility. What does that shift from you know the traditional original equipment sales to mobility? What does that entail? Yeah, you know I've been with Bosch now for I think close to 28 years. So I've I've held positions in production, I've held positions in manufacturing, engineering, and all types of roles. What we're doing is the, the role of the automotive OEM sales is now moving into the mobility market. So we're redefining it from just being purely automotive to being mobility, right? And the transition from going from a role where I'm primarily responsible for the customer interaction, delighting the customer, to now one where we have the overall responsibility for the business is a great challenge and we have a great team to do that. Yeah, so we announced um, that we have a board that we've put in place, so we have a very strong controller in Mohammed Abraham, we have a strong manufacturing representative uh, with Hans Baron Kettler, and then we also have Latin America, um, which is with Gaston, who runs the region for us there. So we have a good team, and we're well-rounded, and I think uh, I don't anticipate any major changes. Right. So you're head of the Americas. There's also a global mobility business, correct? So correct. what is like the regional versus the global perspective? What differences are there in the in the U.S. and the Americas versus uh, globally for Bosch's mobility So we we never want to ignore that we come from a very strong global organization. So we like to be globally aligned with them, but we want to be regionally focused. So as the regions began to change and China goes its direction and India goes its direction and the Americas come our direction, the regional teams want to have the ability to develop products and solutions that meet the regional requirements. Before, a global solution might be best for all customers, and that got us through up to the point we are now. But as the regions become more important, if you look at the way the government legislations are, the way you have funding within regions, and you also have various government opportunities, the region has to be a stronger voice in that. And we've been given the target to grow 
between 20 and 25 percent of the global turnover, which is also a target that we haven't had in the past. So the global organization is putting a lot of focus on the region by giving us the ability to grow. In the region now, we have the responsibility to bring the opportunities. So a regional announcement that you made, um, I believe it was late last year, is the silicon carbide chip plant in, in California. Can you explain really the significance of that, like what that chip can do for your U.S. customers and why it's important to have it um, in California? Yeah, so the first thing we want to do is make sure that we had a national supply base, right? So having a location in California that can make silicon carbide is something that none of our competitors have at the moment in a position where Bosch is uniquely capable of doing that because of our, our broad history in manufacturing of semiconductors. So having a, a location in California is good for a couple of reasons. One, we got a tremendously talented workforce. So when we took over the facility, we brought close to 250 associates and people that know how to make semiconductors at a very high level. So that was a great thing for us. We're in a, um, an area that is also very advantageous for partnerships uh, with the government and with the local city officials. So we think it's a good spot for us to build our business. The customers are also uh, pretty happy to have more of a local situation. I mean, we all went through the semiconductor crisis together, and I'm sure you had a couple stories on that. Yes, we, want of to, we want to avoid long supply chains, and we want to be closer to where the customers need their product. So what is the function of this specific chip, the um, silicon carbide chip that you'll be building there? Yeah. So silicon carbide can be used in a, a numerous different ways within the automotive industry. The primary um, reason for it is you put it into high power inverters um, that convert energy uh, for battery electric vehicles. And the silicon carbide semiconductor is able to do that by using less energy. So you generally can increase the range of the vehicle by between 6 to 12% all based upon the vehicle if you use silicon carbide versus conventional um, silicon. And also you can reduce the size and the energy consumption. So it generally is the next level up from standard silicon to move to a silicon carbide solution. Are any of the automakers or battery makers using that yet? Yeah, so silicon carbide is used across the industry today. If you look into a, uh, a Tesla vehicle or you look into anything that has a high-powered inverter, they typically move with uh, silicon carbide technology. Okay. Bosch made a lot of announcements, the CES so far, yes. a long list. We won't have time to go through all of them. But one of the big themes was around breaking patterns, something that you had talked about. Yeah. What does that mean? And, and what patterns does Bosch and the industry need to break as we transition to electric vehicles and then eventually um, autonomous vehicles, AI in the vehicle, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, we use the term pattern breaks because sometimes you get lulled into doing the same things over and over again, and you think you'll get the best results. And yeah, I'm not that's not, it's an old wise saying, but what we want to do is make sure that we address the patterns that we think either make us uncompetitive, um, don't generate the right fun and vigor for our people, and also don't deliver delight to our customers. Right, so some of the pattern breaks we're looking at is, are we okay with the way the market's developing? Right, because there's a big balance in the U.S. right now between electrification, internal combustion engines, and other technologies. And we want to make sure that we don't miss a pattern that's in place there, but we also want to break the pattern to make sure that we're delivering the right products at the right quantities. So, you know, as electrification in the press starts to slow down a little bit, we're okay with that. We love electrification, but we also like internal combustions. So we have to watch the pattern and make sure that we don't follow it blindly. Sometimes we have to break it. 
Paul Thomas is Bosch's president of mobility for the Americas. He spoke with our own Hannah Lutz at CES. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jake Neer, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to automotive news journalists Vince Bond Jr. and George Wycamp for their reporting for today's podcast. We also had reporting from Nick Gibbs of our sibling publication, Automotive News Europe. You can get the latest news on suppliers, C-suite moves, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.